0: What's their god? Biblibli bloop, yeah, the
1: one. york city i'm your host shane and i'm your host ishan and welcome to episode 95 of total party thrill a podcast for game masters and players where we
0: discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours in this episode we're talking about playing gnomes but first the rogue traders spend some xp while we answer questions in the dynasty unwarranted campaign and later the breach gnome seals the deal in the character creation forge just a reminder we have tp t-shirts available on tpublic for 20 dollars you can also get them small-sized for any gnomes in your family. And in the meantime, we have been playing some games, Ishan. Yeah, we're very popular additions to people's gaming parties. I don't, wouldn't go that far. Okay, we are additions to people's gaming parties. I will note, we have not played uh, with someone more than once, so... Yeah, we never get invited <laughs> back. That's what happens when you mess on the carpet. So, what was our first game, with a friend of the show.
1: So with Matt Parodi, we played 1938, A Very British Civil War, which is more of a tactical miniatures game than it is a role-playing game, but
0: it was a nice change of pace. I think my favorite part about this setting and this game is the different factions you can play. We were the Anglicans, the church. Yeah, so it's basically after World War One, Britain
1: fell into a civil war, and now there's a bunch of different factions that are all kind of cheeky and British uh running around. So we were the Anglicans fighting alongside the socialists against uh the sisters of something or other. Mercy or yeah, I don't know. They looked the little minis looked like nuns. They looked like nuns Battle with nuns. guns. Yeah. yeah. And then uh they also had I think the Irish with them. Cuz why not? Right. <laughs>
0: uh and uh, we bravely uh held the left flank as we learned the rules. <laughs> Yeah, um, lie down on the ground and then shoot with your light machine gun. Right,
1: and take out the artillery. That was step one.
0: Yeah, as quickly as possible. And their trucks. Right,
1: cost us (laughs) artillery, but (laughs) saved us overall.
0: We don't talk about or honestly play old school war games that much or maybe, you know, as much as you used to when you were younger. But I remember, you know, my introduction to even things like that was when I was young playing things like Axis and Allies. And I always like getting into a setting and a setup where you have all of the like small minis for uh, the troops, but then actual terrain features mm. uh, and, of course, the charts. So many charts about how to hitch and where to hitch and what kind of penalties you're taking based on distance and visibility and the kind of weapon you have and your rate of fire.
1: Yeah, so that was one of the cool things was we were playing with Matt and his dad and his dad's friends and his um brother and his brother's friends. So it was a big group of people, but most of the table knew all the rules from memory and so we had charts, but everyone basically did the work for us. So all we had to do was think tactically. And then slowly, as we learned the rules, we realized we weren't doing that very well. and We, we <laughs> grossly changed course in our approach. Oh, we're standing in the open. Yeah. <laughs> That's dumb. <laughs> and then finally, I was like, oh, we got riflemen. Okay, we're
0: going to lay down and just shoot. That's what those guns are? Because it's not like each uh, piece on the board has a character sheet. You just look at it and see what is the mini holding. Yeah. And that's the weapon that the character has. Which ended up with me writing down
1: what our squads were comprised of on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> that's dad making fun of me. Such a millennial. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then that's how we referred to them. Right. Okay, riflemen up. There's yep. like seven of them. Oh, there's now four of them. Right.
1: <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was fun. It was a nice, nice change of pace and I think we ended up half role
0: playing it anyway. Also, it's one of the few times I've been to the suburbs other than visiting my parents. Right. had flashbacks to high school. Gaming in a basement in the burbs. (laughs) Super fun coming home at (laughs) 3 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) The L-I-R-R. Yeah. Speaking of long trips, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign?
1: So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game that we played using the Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And most recently, the Rogue Traders have just escaped from a Dark Eldar trap where they had sent out a distress signal from an Imperial Navy frigate. The Rogue Traders had come to investigate and save the day and been promptly thrown in jail. In that makeshift prison were a whole group of other prisoners, each kind of different from the other with something about them that proved useful in their escape. Uh, They had a couple failed attempts at that escape, but they eventually managed to hightail it to one of the launch
0: bays, grab a gun cutter, and fly off into space. So Shane, some of our more perceptive listeners have pointed out a few similarities between the motley crew that we discovered in the prison on the Dark Eldar ship and maybe one other Wizards of the Coast publication.
1: Yeah, and I think I talked about this probably as we were running it for the first time, but haven't really mentioned this yet in the recaps, which is that I ripped it wholesale from Out of the Abyss.
0: We said this before. It's sort of one of the reasons that we actually don't do reviews of adventures. It's so that we can actually potentially use some of that information uh, in our actual games. Right, right. So I hadn't read Out of the Abyss. I think maybe like three quarters of the way through, you either hinted at it at the table or just said it out right i think this says something about our group the rest of us then said okay well we'd, we'd better not read that book yeah i mean you had
1: already basically
0: figured out the secrets of everybody
1: f- for the most part um amongst the prisoners so it didn't really seem valuable to hide the source
0: information any longer yeah well then from now on i'm just gonna read all the books and pretend i didn't okay <laughs> great <laughs> why are you searching over there No reason. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's not there anymore. What's not there?
1: (laughs) So I I do want to kind of talk about how I map these things um, as as we're sort of in the interlude, um, as we're changing arcs in Rogue Trader. So it got brought up on Twitter. So I want to just kind of run through what's in there. This will have some light spoilers for the very first basically scene of Out of the Abyss so if you are potentially going to be playing it out of the abyss feel free to fast forward a few minutes um that said other than the characters none of the rest of it really matters because spoiler you start in a, a drow encampment which is turns out nothing like starting in an imperial navy frigate <laughs> like but there are drow everywhere That's true. Dark Eldar are basically drow.
0: Are there not cogitator cores in uh, Out of the Abyss? Uh, No, there aren't. Really? Spoilers. Yeah, no cogitator cores. There are big spiders. Those are essentially, they have eight eyes, which is like a keyboard. Yeah. Poke spiders in the eyes. Right.
1: First up, we have Lieutenant Bupito, who was in fact uh, named Bupito in Out of the Abyss. That was a talkative and cunning darrow, I think she was kind of a uh, well he <laughs> in the original was a sort of a, an assassin type character um then prince darendil if you recall was the orc who insisted he was a a human prince um so this idea came from the book the original was a Quagoth who claims to be a cursed elf prince and that may or may not be true as we will come to find out in dynasty unwarranted
0: will we Mm. Well, no,
1: you guys just abandoned that thread, so you never found out. <laughs> then there was uh Eldith, the uh shield maiden um uh, from the nearby planet of Gontlegram, so Gontlegram should be a dead giveaway for anybody who knows. Forgotten Realms. Gauntalgrim is a well-known dwarf city in Forgotten
0: Realms. See, now that we noticed, and we just assumed that you stole that, because right. why wouldn't you? Yeah, because it's it a cool name. And also we never play in Forgotten Realms. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it turns
1: out that she's, she's a dwarven scout. Then everybody's favorite uh, orcish duo, Ront and Jimjar. So Jimjar was actually a deep gnome spy, who had a gambling problem that was sort of his defining characteristic did he love teeth uh, nope that's a that's a very orcish uh, orky <laughs> thing if you will that's a 40kism and then Ront was indeed an orc bully uh, exactly as you found him um, you know orc with a k though um, but so I paired them up because their names sounded like orc and Gretchen and I thought that having a Gretchen there made it a little bit more plausible that you would be able to
0: negotiate with an orc yeah, certainly. They can be reckoned with. Sort of.
1: Then there was Sereth, who was uh, originally a drow who was accused of murder. And the character that he murdered and the the love triangle, all of that stuff, was uh, ripped right out of Out of the Abyss, including the fact that he was framed. Ripped straight from the headlines. It's a story of our time. Then there is a Shushar, who was indeed a priest, um, but he was a, a Kuatoa, Kuatoa. Kuatoa. K-
0: Kuatoa, right? That's how it's spelled. Yeah, I don't know. However yeah. you want to pronounce it. That's uh the like weird frog race that is completely insane. Yeah. All of them are insane. Right. I like that. And they have what's their god uh, bloop or bloop, bloop Yep, yeah. that's the one. What does that say about Shushar? <laughs> and the god emperor. Oh, well, so
1: I mean I I obviously have just made him a loyal priest, right? Mm-hmm. But he 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 represents
0: the religious element of the group. I've decided that this means that the god emperor of mankind is a completely made-up delusion born from the warp from the accumulated belief of the Imperium of Man. Uh, that'll be 1d5 corruption. <laughs>
1: no, that sounds like a that sounds like a 1d10 corruption. <laughs> Then, uh, if you recall, the carbon fiber stool that you guys found sitting in there—the mm-hmm. little cylinder that was about uh, about knee height—that must be one of those like weird telepathic mushrooms. Yes, yeah. uh, myconids. Yep, um, and its name is actually stool, <laughs> like toadstool. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, which at this point you guys had taken to calling Lil Magnus. Well,
0: because Magnus had taken to calling it Flair. Flair. Had, was actually Ventium Magnus Third, Right. Had taken to calling it Lil' Magnus. Right. And, and, we should call him Big Stool. <laughs> Whatever. At
1: that point, it, you know, I mean, the, the character in Dynasty and Ward doesn't really have... a a firm sense of self or personality right so it didn't really make a difference what you called it so i was happy to not call something stool for the rest of the game (laughs) and then topsy and turvy who are uh two deep gnomes that are actually hiding a secret that they are were rats oh is that the secret that's the secret in um out of the abyss well, it's, all, it's
0: definitely the secret in Dynasty Unwarranted. That must be it. Yep, they're were-rats. Yep, right. you caught me. <laughs> What's the 40K equivalent of a werewolf? Is there one? Uh, i a, It seems like an oversight. A space wolf, basically. Okay. okay. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> they're space marines? Yeah. Secret space marines. Yeah. <laughs> Just once a month.
1: <laughs> this one I had, I had pretty much wiped out, right? You guys haven't gotten to figure out any secrets about topsy and turvy but
0: at the time there actually at this point yeah. there actually weren't
1: any secrets for topsy and turvy they were just two kids who were very sick being in orbit for the first time
0: well this is one of those chicken and egg scenarios where mm-hmm. you said twins and we went secrets you you insisted mm-hmm. <laughs> you you insisted that something had to be special about them and eventually the dice
1: said there was something special well about we brought
0: them. them along and hang around this party long enough and something special happens to you or you die or both. Right. <laughs> uh,
1: and then there's a bunch of stuff in there about what the prisoners know and and what the characters can do to sort of gather knowledge and equipment and tools to get out. Right. And that was basically the idea of what you had done. Right. You explored the social angle and the social engineering aspect of Sarath's rivalry with sure the other incubus then you also you know snuck and um stole some explosives and those kind of things right so you kind of handled it from both sides though i definitely had to change things according to setting um and then basically your escape was entirely you guys um the the escape path through out of the abyss is very filled with spiders (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so you know obviously that fight was a little bit different than it would have been in a D&D fight and also Dark Elves are a little bit uh, or Drow are a little bit weaker than uh, Dark Eldar are in
0: 40k and 40k combat in general is just so much more lethal right? and we had a lot more resources at our disposal like explosives and computers and guns (laughs) and and guns (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, and
1: from there, nothing follows out of the abyss. That was the only part that I stole was just that very first chapter. And, and even then, just basically the social setup of the first chapter.
0: So uh, what adventure are you stealing from now? Is it Storm King's Thunder? Uh, yes. <laughs>
1: uh, right now, I'm just stealing time from the listeners by talking
0: about this instead of the actual plot. All right. Well, speaking of fancy tech and guns, I guess, Um, what are we talking about? In this episode, we are talking about playing gnomes. Yeah, this is the latest in our series on playing non-human characters. Uh, we've almost finished off all of the 5th uh, edition PHP races. We've finally gotten to gnomes, which is Shane's very favorite race. You keep saying this. I don't know uh, where that I came from. I say it, from. and I'm, if I
1: keep saying it... It eventually becomes true? Yes. Yeah, kind of like Topsy and Turvy? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: You'll just get it in your head and you'll be like, actually, right, I do like gnomes. So Shane, what is a gnome? It's a
1: little short thing that lives in tunnels and has some magic and does some illusions and tinkers.
0: That sounds like a fae
1: to me. (laughs) Yeah, so Mm -hmm. that's kind of the history of gnomes. So gnomes are one of the few fantasy things that don't have a root in real folklore and and mythology um, or at least not ancient folklore and mythology Mm. right like you can't go back to germanic or or norse history and find talk of gnomes right They, they have dwarves they have elves they have fairies they don't have gnomes um but so gnomes were kind of created in the renaissance as sort of an earth elemental derivative of the germanic dwarf so they're basically a contrast to fairies, right? They're bound in the earth. And that's how the romantic literature sort of treated them as like, you know, fairies were beautiful and sprightly and live, and gnomes
0: were ugly because they were of the earth. On the ground. Yeah. That's very like John Milton. It's very Renaissance, right? Like I curse you to crawl in your belly. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it, down in the dirt. Yeah. Except this was like Hawthorne and stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The Burrow of Seven Gables. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so why are they in my D&D? Uh, because modern fantasy writers latched onto them and made them their own. I like David the Gnome. Yeah, I mean... He's adorable.
0: David the Gnome and Lawn Gnomes were my first exposure to the concept. And D- yeah, and D&D gnomes are kind of a combination of the two, right? They're like talking to little animals, and they got pointy little hats and rosy cheeks. Some of them live in little trees. Yeah. And then there's like the
1: tinker. Yeah. This is uh, one of the few things in D&D, in an original D&D even, that isn't quite Tolkien. It's it's a little bit Tolkienish, ish but Tolkien's idea for gnomes, which he quickly abandoned the word gnome, um, were sort of the technologically oriented elves, the ones who sought knowledge and like to uh, tinker with gems and that sort of thing, right? Rather than the more earthy forest elves of... Galadriel in them.
0: Which is totally the dwarf
1: shtick. So I think that's where some of the, the gem work comes from and the, the cunning aspects of gnomes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think throughout um, gnomes have always been sort of playful. Right? Like even you think of the silly garden gnome. Right? Like it's it's meant to look silly and it's meant to kind of bring a smile to your face and that's sort of a hallmark of gnomes. Whereas fairies could be deceitful. Gnomes were more pranksters
0: right i mean they they are in many editions of DD actually fey right you know they they have that like fey wild uh prankster impish quality to them right you know my very first very very first D character was uh-huh. a gnome uh-huh a gnome a, what a gnome cleric and that's because okay i showed up to a game i didn't know what D was and i was trying to pick a class and of course they were like well you should play the cleric <laughs> right and i was like yeah okay that sounds awesome what do I do? <laughs> and then, like, what race should I be? Uh, I actually picked Gnome because this was AD&D. There was a, a sub-race of Gnome called the Forest Gnome that got an extra minus 4 to AC because they were so small. Wow. They are like, 2 feet tall. <laughs> so, my like, my AC was ridiculously good. So, it was, like, minus 2. That's, like, an AC 22. <laughs> <laughs> His name was um, Inicamozi. Named after the uh, reggae singer that uh, sings Here Comes the Hot Stepper. Remember that song? I do not. (laughs) I'm going to put it in the show notes. Great. (laughs) You will remember it. I cannot wait. (laughs) I think it came out when you were eight. Sounds about right. (laughs) So right about the time of uh, Red Red Wine? You know that song is from 83? Oh, really? Well, at least the UB40 version of it. Good. It's a lot older than that. Was there a cover in the 90s? The one you were thinking of, it got popular again. It was re-released in uh, the 90s. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. And I I literally just found that out. And yeah. I was like, there's no way that's from... Oh, it is from 83. Wow. Oh, there you go. Okay. TMYK. I mean, we're just here pursuing knowledge. That's all. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Just looking for a little bit of lore. Speaking of lore, remember, uh, when we're talking about gnomes and like physiology and all of that for every one of these uh, race series that we do you want to consider uh, for each of these traits are you typical for your race or do you stand out most of the gnomes that you encounter are going to have similar characteristics yep but you don't necessarily need to be within this standard norm for your race so let's talk about that physiology uh first off you start with
1: plus two intelligence so gnomes are naturally bright. They're naturally kind of curious. Um, they're even described in that sort of uh, eccentric professor kind of way. Mm-hmm. You know, like their their hair is crazy and unkempt, but then they have these immaculate beards that are braided and like in funny shapes and colors.
0: Yeah. And that's something that's been a through line uh, throughout all of the editions. They're smart. They have a proclivity toward being wizards or, or spellcasters, especially the ones who learn their knowledge. Mm hmm they're
1: also relatively long-lived so they mature around 40 they live 350 to 500 years Um, but i think different from some of the other long-lived races they spend their time like urgently pursuing their passions right they actively seek out knowledge whereas i i feel like dwarves sort of use time as a refinement right and elves sort of drink up time because they have so much of it right if i spend 10 years learning the loot and mastering the loot it's fine i've got 990 more to go
0: right and i feel like for the most part an elf like they'll learn the loot for 10 years right then they will spend 50 years learning a different instrument Mm -hmm. and then something else and eventually they can play everything in the orchestra great right the dwarf will say i'm a blacksmith or whatever or like a growth farmer you know? Uh, and I will be the best one. Well actually no, the dwarf won't decide. The dwarf will do what their parents did. Right, exactly. <laughs> this is what our clan does, and we are the best and at it. And we are it, the best right? at it, yeah. And the gnome the gnome has written literally one thousand books. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like <laughs> he's he's studied with that dwarf and he is um observed the elves in in their orchestra. And he can probably make decent blacksmithing work and mm-hmm. perform decently with a lute, but he is definitely
0: not sticking around to master it. He's getting his knowledge. He's getting the f*** out. And he's looking at the dwarf who's making uh, tools and weapons the same way that his great, 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 great grandfather did. And going, well, have you considered maybe trying a different kind of, like, coke? Yeah. <laughs> and the dwarf looks at him like he's insane. Right. And then he takes that back and he's like, oh, well, we found a new way to skin a cat. <laughs> They give pointers to the elves about, oh, I think uh, maybe you could, like, add a, an additional string on this loot. And the elves are just like, that's not the point. Right. <laughs> the
1: gnome is the type to to figure out how to win the game of chess, not the type to figure out how to make chess an art form.
0: Right. Right. What, what does chess tell us about the art of war? Oh, well, I sold it, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Gnomes
1: are also small-sized and have dark vision, which make sense because their natural homes are underground so they're at home in
0: burrows and that sort of thing. Yeah, they, they really are burrowing creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't just talk to them. And they're, I mean, it's just in the PHB, halflings and gnomes that are small and halflings don't have dark vision. So even though they live in holes in the ground, but those need to be like very bright, right? Because otherwise, halflings bump into things, right? Right. For gnomes, you just need it for reading, although yeah. <laughs> you do a lot of that. Well, it's a you know it, it eases the
1: eyes to have well lit burrows. Then gnomes also have gnome cunning, which grants advantage on intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saves versus magic, which means they're obviously
0: resilient to magic. I feel like this is something that a lot of people sort of miss when they're looking at different races, mm-hmm. like advantage on literally half your saves mm-hmm. and. Two good ones right there are a lot of charisma saves and there are a lot of wisdom saves yep and those are also really bad ones yep. when they happen you don't have con and you don't have decks that's fine because you know your dexterity saves that's usually just damage you can find a way to mitigate that con a little tougher but you know some gnomes have a con bonus anyway but this is great feature
1: Yep. and this is where it splits into the three sub races there's this first neblin the deep gnomes that we're not really going to cover here because they're pretty separate, but... Yeah, just like
0: we didn't cover the dwargar in the dwarf episode.
1: Right. Uh, but then there's forest gnomes, and there's rock gnomes. And these kind of split along the two main archetypes of gnomes. Mm-hmm. Like, you have the gnome illusionist, and then you have the gnome tinkerer, right? Um, so the forest gnomes are the illusionists. They gain a bonus to dexterity. Um, they get the natural illusionist ability, which grants them the minor illusion cantrip. And then they get speak with small beasts, which... I think is interesting because that is a very fae kind of ability to mm-hmm. me right so it's kind of calling back to that origin
0: yeah in 3.5 gnomes were very much sort of affiliated with dwarves and they even showed up in the races of stone handbook they actually got like straight up a plus two con bonus but the forest gnome like you have a dex bonus you know you're not stodgy and like waddling when you walk you are a, you are graceful and lithe yeah, yeah. like a ferret <laughs>
1: And then Rock Gnomes, the Tinkerers, they get that con bonus, uh, plus one. They also get Artificer's Lore, which gives expertise, a uh, double proficiency bonus in history checks for magic items, alchemy, technology, those types of things. And then they have the Tinker ability, which gives them a small, mostly flavorful clockwork toy.
0: Yeah, and those have really cool abilities, although they're probably along the lines of, like, uh prestidigitation cantrip. Yeah, yeah, they basically get physical prestidigitation.
1: So we've talked about it a bit, but um what what
0: defines the gnome culture in D&D? So if you're playing a DD and d game in general, there are three types of gnomes you'll run into. There's the kind of the PHB, there's the uh, Zalargo gnome from Eberron, and then there's the Dark Sun gnome.
1: This classification was inspired from a Twitter exchange amongst our listeners. So, Snark Knight made the joke that we're going to discuss why Eberron has the best gnomes and Dark Sun are number two. And then Asher Winnie um, at Walrus Above said uh, that's correct. They should either be Zill or extinct.
0: Ha ha, because in Dark Sun there are no gnomes. There are no gnomes. They are (laughs) dead. They're hunted to extinction. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, like a thousand years prior.
1: (laughs) Same uh, as Kender. Right. <laughs> and, and, not for nothing, right? I think gnomes are one of the very hated PHB races because they're somewhat dull uh, in, their, in their kind of core culture. But I feel like the Zalargo gnomes are a very interesting take on what natural curiosity and also, like, relentless pursuit of knowledge would lead to in a
0: culture. Right. So let's sort of work through these different types. For base D&D, the gnomes out of the PHB, they enjoy the pursuit of knowledge, right? We, we talked about how a, a gnome might study hundreds of, of different topics, but it's, it's less obsessive and more the joy of finding something new, the joy of discovery. Right, right. Um, and then I think,
1: you know, they are heavily skewed towards alchemy, engineering, um, tinkering, artificing wasn't really a thing before Eberron but now we have the concept of artificing so that as well
0: yeah but there's also a long history of gnomes like learning and understanding the arts now they might do it in a way where they they get like the mathematics behind music yeah uh, and and then sort of use that to develop new kinds of music but um, the playfulness of the gnome certainly comes out when they're you know looking at a painting right Uh, And speaking of playfulness, uh, that's one of the things that the
1: PHB in 5th edition specifically describes is how they're vivacious and how they enjoy joking and pranks, right? Not maliciously, but sort of um,
0: endearingly. Well, most fae are not malicious about their pranking. (laughs) Yeah. They just don't necessarily realize that people might die. Right. (laughs) Of course.
1: (laughs) I mean, consider uh, the gnome god in, Was Forgotten Realms is... Named Garl Glittergold. Yeah. So, how serious can you take them? Right? Yeah. I mean, like they're like Waste is one of the clan names listed in uh, in the PHB. I mean, who's going to take that guy seriously? But speaking of religion, I think if you look at the look at the gnome deity uh, Garl Glittergold you basically see the defining characteristics in just his nicknames, right? He's the Joker, he's the Priceless Gem, he's the Sparkling Wit, and he's the Watchful Protector. Uh, They're generally well-meaning, you know, they love mining and shiny things, they're witty and
0: smart, and they're playing pranks. If gods are supposed to be the sort of ideal of what a, a race wishes it could be, it it certainly sounds to me like gnomes want to be way more charismatic than they are. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Life of the party. That's that's fine because elves <laughs> think they're more charismatic than Corallon is. <laughs> now let's talk about Zillargo. Oh, Zil gnomes because this is one of my favorite parts of Eberron.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that we really like about the setting is that it gives uh, a lot of new sort of reasons for being for old races. So mm-hmm. like the Half-Elves, for example, are this continent-spanning like, diplomatic envoy. And, you know, they run two houses. houses. Right. The gnomes are mostly sequestered in one small area of Breland that then becomes its own nation, Zalargo. And
1: and calling it a nation is generous. It's pretty loosely organized.
0: Yeah, I think there's uh, three... Cities, like cities, right. Yeah. They And then they each, like, send a representative to the triumvirate, right. which basically runs the trust. Right. And, and the trust is, this sounds weird to say, it's the gnomish secret police. The trust is the, like, platonic ideal of what the NSA wishes it could be. Yeah. Because the trust does know everything that everybody is doing. But because they're gnomes, all of the gnomes who know that they're being watched, just are better people because of it they just are okay and good yeah so it's it's aptly named so let's take a step back okay the
1: the government of zalargo doesn't really do much right like gnomish society in the zil gnomes anyway functions because of this like complicated series of like rumors and social pressure and secrets and then outright blackmail that basically keep all gnomes in line right so you can't really go around committing crimes because someone's going to see you and they're going to talk and then somebody the wrong person is going to hear that and then retribution comes for you Mm -hmm. one way or the other Uh, if you're lucky it's direct and and in in all likelihood it it will not be direct Um, and so you know those transgressions are sort of
0: socially removed in most kinds of fiction like this type of setup goes hand in hand with like autocratic dictatorship right but that's not zalargo like if you do commit a crime you might be taken out if it's a bad enough crime right someone might assassinate you but they're not going to kill your family right right well if you're a gnome <laughs> yes oh, yes because
1: <laughs> uh, it's it's hardly so nice to outsiders <laughs>
0: Well, why are you living in Zalarga? Maybe you're going to school, but that's about it, it right?
1: <laughs> no, I, that is important. It's not a malevolent system, right? It's a, it's that sort of natural outgrowth of pursuit of the secret of the hidden of knowledge, right? Uh, I think the trust is so perfectly named because of that, right? It's like if if nobody can have secrets, then we can all trust each other,
0: right? And you trust that the trust is going to take care of things,
1: right? And and the function of that is basically the idea that the trust has so many agents and so many different capacities that it's impossible to hide something from everybody uh, and if just one person finds out it's liable that the trust
0: will find out as well so why bother trying to hide things and why bother trying to do bad things right
1: um, and this is sort of where outsiders to Z- zalargo get messed up <laughs> right <laughs> is that gnomes are perfectly capable of being deceitful as well so um, if you try and impress them into your lousy, malevolent scheme, they're likely to go along with it and then just simply report on you.
0: <laughs> right, and see if Zalargo can make some cash out of this. Right, or, or get some <laughs> you know
1: hidden magic or secret technology or something. Right. right. Um, and then the other gnomish thing in Eberron is House Civis, which I think is based in Zalargo as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the mark of scribing. So they're basically an email service. Um, plus they provide like translators and diplomats.
0: Yeah, the house is basically what enables fast and secure communication across right. Corvair. Yeah. The same way that the lightning rail moves people around, information can travel around. Oh, and also um, the like Zalargo is where the uh, newspapers come from. Yeah. yeah the Kornberg Chronicle. And also the gnomes are the only ones on the continent of Corvair who have the secret to elemental binding it's another reason that the society itself uh, and the trust is so careful about outsiders because right now only gnomes know how to take an elemental and stick them in a kyber shard mm-hmm. to power a lightning rail or or an airship mm-hmm. or any other of the you know magitech contraptions that eberron is known for or a uh, doomsday device <laughs> <Do-do-do-do-do>. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost one of the sort of central tenets like if a non-gnome finds out how to bind elementals, the trust will murder that person. Absolutely. Right. right.
1: And then they also have sort of an arrangement with House Kandarik, who are the dwarven bankers. Gnomes help have helped with um, House Kandarik in setting up the banking system as mm-hmm. well. So... The whole idea of having sort of a modern economy in Eberron is deeply rooted in the good faith of the gnomes.
0: Right. Like if you have a letter of note, like that comes with probably a House Seavis arcane mark on it. Right. The thing I really like the most about Eberron gnomes is that, like we said, they're the PHB version of them is like. Playful and almost comical. You know, mm-hmm. people make fun of gnomes. And this makes them still playful and, and fun and so nice on the outside, but also really effective. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, as we describe these, they almost feel a little bit Mary sue almost as a race, right? Like, they, they do so many things so well because of the power of their cultural affinity for each other. And yet, with all the other crazy things going on in Eberron... It actually just makes gnomes feel like they have a seat at the table. Right. Otherwise, like, who would care? Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, if you dropped this in the middle of Forgotten Realms, like, I feel like the trust would quickly take over politics in just about every major city and, and principality.
0: Yeah. Because uh, what's the gnome area in uh, Forgotten Realms? Lantan? Right? It's something like, like that, an yeah. Island and they make, like, balloons or something? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There is no danger of the Sword Coast being taken over by Lantan, right? <laughs> All right, and finally, Dark Sun. They're good
1: gnomes. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they could have even been great gnomes because they're dead gnomes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. Taken out in the uh, genocidal wars that created the setting in the first place. Yeah, yeah. took out all the races that the Dark Sun creators
1: found annoying and superfluous. And I think at that point in 2nd edition, that's probably a fair criticism of gnomes.
0: Yeah, because I think in 1st edition, gnomes were very much the tinker-oriented, you know, like gems and things like that. But then 2nd edition, that's where they really got that, like, playful prankiness cranked up to eleven. And I think Dark Sun was a response to that. People going, Ugh, let's just let's just get rid of them. Also, let's kill all the Kender and all the halflings are cannibals. Yeah, I mean that <laughs> that
1: that was I think probably another part of it is, like Dragonlance was so big, mm-hmm. right? And Kender were so freaking annoying. <laughs> like like if you've had Kender ruin your table before, cool. I'm going to make a setting where that will never happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're writing the halfling episode too. That's fine. <laughs> All right, so joking about darks on the side. Um, let's talk about gnome
0: communities. I mean, what what are they like in the PHB? I mean, true to like the culture of gnomes, I think it it's kind of a cross between uh, a dwarven workshop and like a a fairy circle. You know, actually, I kind of think about the Keebler elves. You know, they've got that workshop, but it's inside a tree. Yeah, and it's bright and airy. Yep people are busy and they're working and like there's noise maybe there's steam depending on like your setting it Mm -hmm. might be steampunky, or they're you know working their magic and there are assembly lines of of some kind and occasional explosions but they're the kind of explosions where like you singe it off your eyebrows or like it's a looney tunes explosion (laughs) right right. you know like your hair is up and it's all and it's all black for like 10 seconds and you just shake it off
1: or or you've got the gnome who's got like the uh the like sooty scorch marks on their face and then they pull off their goggles and there's just the outline <laughs> you know
0: It's like right but like the the like tragic fire in the lab that like causes mutations like that's that doesn't really happen in, in a gnomish community
1: yeah when we built Swamp Thing it definitely wasn't
0: a gnome <laughs> and it definitely wasn't a gnome who created him if Lex Luthor had been a gnome that experiment wouldn't have made him lose all his hair that's just male pattern baldness right but his
1: hair might have turned like bright pink and blue which he would have loved yeah um i think another thing that really defines gnomes is that they don't really have significant conflicts amongst themselves Mm -hmm. um and they're always sort of wrapped up in somebody else's problems which i I think is part of why they feel like they don't necessarily have a seat at the table in the phb
0: yeah they have like a, a great society you know they get along so the stories don't really need to revolve around gnomes stabbing other gnomes right? Right. it's not necessarily like the dwarves where even though it's like dwarf first it's clan first and then dwarf first right you know? yeah Um, I think a, a good analog is actually the smurfs because mm. while a lot of the episodes of the smurfs sort of revolve around small like petty bickering it's always taken care of and ultimately people are always taking care of each other uh, yeah and then and then in Eberon, right as we've talked about um, I, I think
1: it presents kind of an interesting challenge to the idea of community right Like gnomes know they can't trust anyone outside of their very innermost circle but in a way that means that every gnome's got to be on their best behavior and that means that you can trust every gnome right like it, it's this weird sort of circular relationship of like I don't personally trust you but because you're a gnome I trust you mm-hmm. Um, and then contrasting that PHB sort of culture where gnomes are always part of something else right wrapped up in someone else's struggles I feel like the Zill are very gnome first yeah right? and and the trust specifically
0: yeah they're probably as close to xenophobic as you can get being a gnome.
1: Yeah, because I was going to say, there's a lot of xenophobia in
0: Eberron, so... He's in general. T- tough to call that one a, you know, I mean, Thrain went and killed all the changelings and shifters, so I mean... Right, and like, Zalargo's like, oh, we built a library that anyone can use. Right. <laughs> also, we'll know what you were looking at. Or will we? <laughs> Just sign in here. No, it's like a library card. Yeah. <laughs> The primary purpose
1: of the trust is to protect from external threats. Mm-hmm. And
0: right? that's really the thing. Like, if you're not trying to screw over a gnome or Zelago itself, they're going to leave you alone. You know, like, they'll happily, like, provide you a, you know, a nice place to stay while you're visiting. And sure, take a look at the, uh, the tomes in the library and perhaps you'd like to learn something. We love sharing learning.
1: Yeah. It's like, as long as you share back, we're cool.
0: Right. You pay us for our services and then you leave. Great.
1: Yep. Yep. And how about the communities of gnomes in Dark Sun? Uh, They're very quiet, keep to themselves. (laughs) They don't
0: bother anybody, though. (laughs) Okay, so if you are playing a gnome, what kinds of interactions are you probably going to be presented with when dealing with, let's say, other PCs? So this is a tough one to balance, but I think gnomes
1: have a place as sort of merry pranksters right if you need to and I would use this to kind of cut the tension um, especially if, if it exists between characters or, or even with the group and an NPC right the, the well timed joke from the gnome might just avoid everyone grabbing their swords um, and then outside of that I, I think they're going to fill that sage or magician kind of role um, and I use magician more than wizard <laughs> specifically
0: yeah, a gnome always has like some sort of magic on tap. It's in fact likely that you know you're going to be playing the traditional gnome illusionists, you know, especially like in in games like uh, 3.5. There were the you know gnome prestige classes that were very much like, hey, you like the illusion stuff? You should do more of the illusion stuff. Yeah, in fifth
1: edition, there's not really a way to lean on that, unfortunately. Just take the red spells. Yeah, you could be an illusionist wizard and and a gnome. You're
0: good. Done. But you are probably also the one who is finding the most creative ways to use your spells. Like, I feel like a gnome wizard should always have prestidigitation because there should be dozens of different things that you can do with that spell. Right. And it actually might be a little weird or people will be confused if the gnome isn't doing things with prestidigitation.
1: Yeah, so that's kind of the... That's, and that's what, when I say merry prankster, right? I think prestidigitation stuff is exactly what you would do, right? It's like if, um, if another PC in your party sort of disagrees with you on something, like as usual, you take everybody's camp rations and, increase the flavor a little bit make them taste a little nicer but you make his taste like rotten eggs (laughs) and then you pout right like that sort of stuff until he apologizes and then you fix it for him you know it's like it's stuff that that's just a minor social interaction that takes 15 seconds to describe and then you move on right Uh, those are the kind of pranks
0: that you want to pull as a no right and it's not Harmful in any way, right? It just right. tastes bad. Yeah, it's not poisoned. You didn't untie his sword belt, right? <laughs> right? Like you didn't, <laughs>
1: you didn't snatch his magic item out of his bag right before he needs it.
0: I don't know what personal property is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you may come across as nosy, uh, but it, maybe that's just because you're inquisitive, you know. And you're you're probably the one in the party who is trying to figure out what secrets the other party members are holding and as a gm that's actually that can be very helpful because you have someone who's actively trying to pull out the backstories of these other characters
1: yeah i I think gnomes have a a great place if you're that type of um like very social player who really wants to role play with the other pcs and and you're the type who can kind of get the group in that mindset. Um, a gnome is a great place to fit in at the table for
0: that right the wide eyed character who's like oh wow that's really interesting I've never heard of that tell me more about that yeah right or like oh I roll history and let me tell you all about the history of that sword did you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's made with you know adam uh, adamantine steel the adamantine empire existed 900 years ago (laughs) I've spent 30 years writing a thesis on this right (laughs) (laughs) their steel has been highly valued for the past three centuries because it rarely rusts and holds an edge longer than average
0: yes, my sword is always sharp. (laughs) Now you know why. (laughs) (laughs) My dad gave it to me.
1: (laughs) Um, And then if you're a little bit uh, more on the chaotic or kind of darker evil bent, um, you might be looking for secrets uh, for leverage. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, And of course, you know, uh, if you're playing an evil PC in a good party, you've, you've got to kind of couch all that sort of stuff. But um, that would sort of be the darker angle of a gnome is is looking for a, something to hold over your allies' heads. Mm.
0: Also, if you are playing an evil gnome, consider, do people know that you're evil? Because most people are going to assume that you're not. Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, but what if other gnomes find out that you're evil? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a problem. Right. <laughs> if they're the traditional
1: PHP gnome. Um, I, I feel like that would make a great sort of companion NPC, you know, like just quietly earns the trust of everybody. And like, <laughs> and then you go into town and like, oh, there's a bounty on, on their heads. Well, they're camping just a mile down the road. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then like just kind of walks back and sees what happens, you know?
0: doop a doop a it's, it's like writing everything down. Right. It's like just a nice little explanation for some light railroading. That's right. <laughs> this is our troubadour <gasps> right. who's writing about our exploits. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not collecting evidence, right <laughs> um, so how do gnomes interact with other races? They usually get along really well with other races um, they're they're not insular like uh, dwarves or elves can be. I actually think they're probably more similar in their gregariousness to half elves mm. um, and it's not because they don't feel like there's no place they fit in. It's because there's a place they fit in. It's everywhere. <laughs> Wherever there are gnomes. Right. <laughs> but yeah, that natural curiosity has them out seeking things. And I mean, if you think about the kind of people that people like, uh, genuine and like caring and inquisitive people, most people really like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless you want to, you know, you want that to be your hook with the, player playing the gnome it's right like, I, I just hate you i can't <laughs> oh my god stop <laughs> talking i come from the cynical empire <laughs> Right, <laughs> I, I can't really process what you're saying
1: um and, and i think because of that you you would be hard-pressed to find gnome characters who aren't familiar with other races like who grew up in a In a community of only gnomes who've never had exposure outside of gnome life, right? Mm -hmm. The way that you might have a dwarf or an elf or even some humans. Right. Even if
0: you're growing up around just gnomes, you're probably taking trips. Right. You know, and probably taking um, commissions from other races for you to like build or invent or create something. Or have at least like read about them or learned about them or heard stories of them. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I will also say that there's. Great likelihood that other races underestimate you, at least those who haven't spent a lot of time around gnomes. Right, you're pretty small, like three to four feet tall. Um, You're not very intimidating. Some of you like talk to animals, and uh, the rest of you like spend a lot of time looking at like small gemstones and like eyeglasses. Um, And then
1: the other thing that doesn't get touched on as much, um, except with the forest gnomes, is, is nature. Right. So keep in mind that forest gnomes are particularly well attuned. It wouldn't be so strange to have uh, a druid or or something or a druidic circle nearby um, have those kind of secrets as well.
0: Yeah. One of the few times I could see gnomes coming into conflict with other gnomes is forest gnomes. being upset about the ramifications of some sort of contraption that the tinker gnomes built Mm -hmm. because it's ruining the forest. Right, yeah, and I mean gnomes are also miners,
1: (laughs) you know, like uh, extracting those gems definitely isn't good for nature.
0: Steampunk requires coal or wood. Right. (laughs) So why would a gnome leave a peaceful glade and the company of rabbits to go out and kill things with spells so I think
1: we've talked a lot about the pursuit of knowledge I think that's pretty straightforward mm-hmm. um, you might also have a gnome who goes adventuring for inspiration um, you know if you're a tinker or an artificer um, maybe you're wandering the world looking for a problem to solve right you're looking for your next big hit um, and so that's why maybe you you take take to adventuring to sort of broaden your horizons
0: Yeah, I like the idea of, like, the itinerant problem solver. Mm. You know, like, you you walk into a town, you don't know anything about this town, but, like, let's see what the problem is. Yeah. Oh, your well isn't very efficient. How about I fix that for you and you pay me? Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that is sort of a defining quality for most gnomes. Like, they get joy out of doing this. A gnome doesn't need to be like out to right some great wrong mm-hmm. in order to enjoy adventuring and being out there and like not even necessarily making a difference but like finding a way to take all the knowledge they've gained and applying it to something practical
1: right uh, gnomes may just go adventuring because they like the company and and they know along the way that it'll be interesting right and it'll they'll learn stuff and that'll be fine um it doesn't necessarily have to have
0: like you said that big big picture so if you're playing a gnome the most obvious class of course is wizard you've got that plus two intelligence and that's the only class we've got that's intelligence based
1: yeah and then i think there's sort of half fits for gnomes as well that that maybe fit thematically but aren't as great from a mechanical standpoint so rogue and bard come to mind um that would make a lot more sense if Intelligence still gave you more skills like it used to. Mm-hmm. But um, the Forest Gnome gets a plus one to deck, so it's not a terrible match. Um, the Knowledge Cleric obviously works as well just from a thematic standpoint. Knowledge Cleric of Garl Glittergold. How do I get a better name?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Why are things named as they are? <laughs> and then also, uh, Ranger or Druid works certainly um, for... Well, thematically it works for a Forest Gnome, but I kind of like the idea of a tinker mm. who like wants to experience something different. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, of course, um, if you are playing a wizard, consider maybe Bladesinger. I like the idea, like, if you want to play a melee gnome, Bladesinger works well. It still uses your intelligence. And that speed boost that you get really helps with those <laughs> really? short little legs. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I am up to average.
1: <laughs> so, in combat, gnomes are typically small um, and and known more for their uh, mental capabilities rather than their physical. So um, think about how a gnome would fight smarter, not harder. Um, So things like illusion or trickery or traps would be good things. Poison might work as well for uh, a gnome who might not see it as necessarily an an evil or
0: underhanded act, but just leveling the playing field. Mm -hmm. And if you are a melee gnome, remember that you've got Uh, Advantage on uh, most of those saving throws against spells that take out melee combatants. Yeah,
1: definitely good to go mage slayer in that regard.
0: Yeah. Uh, And,
1: and, you know, if you are a melee gnome, you probably grew up around wizards all the time. You've seen a lot of spell casting. Sometimes it's really the best way to get new spells. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Skills. You're great at the knowledge skills. And then if you're a forest gnome, you've got some exposure to the deck skills. Um, I think stealth is probably the one that fits best for the gnome kind of archetype, right? Uh, Going along with that winning the fight before it's fought sort of deal. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, for a race that is so involved with magic, the 5e DMG doesn't give us any gnome-specific magic items. Yeah, it's almost like there's
1: items in there that are probably gnome in origin, but there's yeah. so many of them that we can't really list
0: them all. Right. Uh, the apparatus of Qualish is ab- 100% created by a gnome. Oh, yeah, because it's yeah. totally worthless in in function, right? Uh-huh. But, like, yeah, I mean,
1: of course I want to explore underneath the waves. I, I'm going to need some protection.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely built by someone who was, like, who didn't ask, should I do this, but can, can I, do, I this? do this? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, also I I like uh, things that are gem in origin mm. I think makes a lot of sense so like the gem of brightness um, or the gem of seeing um, especially the, the gem of seeing is kind of funny because it gives you true sight which would ignore illusions
0: or bypass <laughs> illusions right so like don't screw with me man I can see through it <laughs> and then the you know weird things like uh, qual's feather token or the folding boat yeah or
1: uh, Darren's instant fortress <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: You know what's much easier than building fortifications <laughs> right, carrying one with you <laughs> um, and then i also think
1: things that seem useless of um, almost might be like errant gnome creations things like the uh, trident of fish command you know like that sounds like a really good idea
0: but in practice it's really dumb that sounds like perfectly gnomish naivety. I mean, I think it was like a gnome who went fishing and was like, this is a lot of work. Right. You know what? And then spent like a hundred years right. figuring out what to, so that they could just walk up and instead of casting a line, command the fish to jump into his basket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come here so I can stab you. That's right. Done. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, The gnomes are like the Rube Goldberg race. Right,
1: right. <laughs> Uh, and then also you know it makes sense for basically any technology in your setting to be no mission origin Mm -hmm. or at least use gnome parts Um, and also gunpowder Uh, sometimes that's a dwarven thing but I think gunpowder works well for gnomes as well it's kind of a partnership forest gnome gunslinger yeah yeah um you know especially the more elaborate contraptions using gunpowder like cannons and those sorts of things Mm -hmm. probably more so than like your typical like
0: musket i mean siege weapons yeah yeah
1: yeah. and the dmg actually does specifically mention some of the siege weapons would be gnomish origin so you would you play a gnome again
0: yeah i totally would play a gnome again i would absolutely play against type though I think that probably is why we picked the Breach Gnome for this
1: episode. It's also probably why we like Slargo so much.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we we built uh, another gnome previously, the uh, War Correspondent. Mm -hmm. I like a gnome with a purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I
1: would absolutely play a gnome in Emberron. I don't know that I would necessarily grab one for just a generic D&D game. Would you play one in Dark Zone? Absolutely. You might (laughs) say that I'm playing one right now. (laughs) Because I'm playing a Genasi.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you hear that, Ishan? Um, That is the silence of all the Dark Sun gnomes. It's haunting. Well, that means we're late,
1: (laughs) so we better go to the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N dangerous. And
0: you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sends Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit into 140 characters, at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web, at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at Total Party Thrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the breach gnome this is another one of those 3.5 rebuilds
1: yeah so this was a five level prestige class it was basically a gnome warrior who seals a tunnel uh he actually got an ac bonus if he was fighting next to large objects so like a tree or a wall and he got an extra bonus if he had that object on both sides (laughs) so it was like made for tunnel fighting (laughs) right this is the hold the line gnome right uh, got bonuses to opportunity attacks, and then bonuses to avoiding disarm, trip, shove, those types of things, uh, and then eventually became unflankable. And then, uh, kind of weirdly here for the armored gnome who holds the line, he also got uncanny dodge, which meant different things in 3.5. Yeah,
0: it, You could maintain your dexterity bonus even if you were flat-footed. Right. Yeah. Which is great, because if you can't really move out of the way... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Shane, what is the 5e Breach Gnome? It's pretty simple.
1: It's a Rock Gnome uh, for the, that extra con, and then a Battlemaster Fighter 17, Bear Totem Barbarian 3.
0: I love Gnome Barbarians. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and and this is another case where you want Rage to be focus or determination, something like that, where you, know, you kind of plant your Tower Shield, which is, of course, A normal shield (laughs) (laughs) planted in the ground and say you will not pass right and that that grim determination is your form of rage Mm. um but bear barbarian is going to get uh extra damage resistance you'll be uh, resistant to all damage except psychic uh danger sense which is actually i think probably closer to what uncanny dodge meant Mm -hmm. in previous editions um and then importantly advantage on strength saves and strength checks which
0: you might notice, means you will have advantage on an awful lot of saves. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult to push you out of the way, and it's going to be very difficult to mentally command you to move out of the way. Right. Battlemaster Fighter, you can get either the dueling or the defensive fighting style. Battlemaster, I think we've covered in every other character
1: creation forge, so Mm -hmm. all of the good abilities work great for you. Trip. Yeah, trip attack. Disarming could be kind of funny Mm -hmm. because they won't get past you. <laughs> so if you just kick their sword out of the way, it's going to be yeah. awful hard to recover.
0: Uh, menacing is really great because you just frighten them away.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or goading, right? Like, you've got... <laughs> come on, hit me, baby. <laughs> um, if you want to feel more like a gnome and and get some more wizard flavor, Eldritch Knight also works. There's nothing specific to Battlemaster that you need. Um, but... I don't know. I, I feel like Eldritch Knight it doesn't work well as a gish. So you'll be either wizard now. You, you know you'll you'll trade off from your tunnel fighting breach gnome to your gnome wizard and then back.
0: Yeah, it's a little more defensively oriented. You'll get the shield spell, right, which will give is... you a big AC boost. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also teleport your weapon into your hand if it actually does get taken away from you. You don't have to chase it. Yeah, it's, uh, nah, let's, let's get that trident of fish command back to me. Right, right. <laughs>
1: Um, And then I think what makes this build really shine as a Breach Gnome specifically is the three feats that we'll take. So um, Sentinel, which of course gives you uh, stronger opportunity attacks, uh, stops movement when uh, you successfully hit somebody so they will not be passing you. Um, Shield Master, which lets you shove as a bonus action, which is whatever. Um, It gives you your Shield's AC bonus to dex saves. And then it also, as a reaction, allows you to turn a half damage on a save, on a dexterity save, into no damage. And then lastly, polar Master, if you use a quarter staff, allows you to continue with dueling fighting style because uh, it can be used one-armed and still lets you make a second attack with your bonus action. So that's actually really handy. And then, of course, as somebody enters your reach,
0: you can make an opportunity attack as well. Right. If you approach me, I hit you. If you try and leave... I hit you again. <laughs> Try to move past me, I hit you. Yeah. <laughs> Try to throw a spell at me, doesn't do anything. And then I hit you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is about as close as we can get
1: to making an actual wall. A gnome wall. Mm-hmm. Portable as well. Yep. Just like a gnome. But I, I do kind of like this idea here of, um you know, you've got extra attack, right? So somebody approaches you, you hit them twice with your quarterstaff, which is probably like just a billy club in normal size. <laughs> um, you hit them twice and then you shove them back. And if they want to come back to you, then you'll hit them with polar master again as they approach. It's basically, um, the guard in like every computer RPG from the late nineties. God, (laughs) you can't pass (laughs) and shove
0: you away. You can't pass, shove you away. Why didn't I bring a ranged weapon? Yeah. (laughs) All right. So Shane, uh, Tell us about your Breach Gnome. So my Breach Gnome uh,
1: was classically trained as a Breach Gnome. Uh, He was security for a small burrow uh, that was overrun um, probably by something like goblins or maybe um, hobgoblins, bugbears, some some goblinoids probably. Awful. Yeah. It's just terrible. Just terrible. And uh, he was... One of the few survivors of his burrow, being as he failed personally, he now takes it upon himself to atone by traveling and learning as much as he can about the fighting arts so that when he um, finds another home, he can properly protect it. If he can find another clan of gnomes to take him in.
0: Always searching. Not as a Largo gnome, though cuz we'd already have a clan. Yeah, the trust t- takes care of that. Right. How about you, Ishan? My breach gnome is a coward. <laughs> okay. She was always fearful, always afraid, didn't like uh the dark, so you know, always kept her lights on uh, when she was young. Um but in the same way, you know, eventually uh an an invasion uh led her to realize that she needed to face her fears. And so uh, she took up a position in the tunnels, uh, working as a, a a tunnel guard. After years and years, that will give you the title breach gnome. But she knew that, like being there on the front lines, not being able to run away because if she did, she'd probably be like shunned. Right? It's sort of like falling asleep on watch. Mm-hmm. You know? She realized that she needed to push herself, and the, and then you know after a few years of that, realized that she she actually needed to even get out of the tunnel right to leave the the safety of the burrow and go adventuring she is always always terrified of dying or you know being like stabbed in in the back when when she's not looking but she's always out there facing that fear because she knows that's what she needs to do in order to succeed nice
1: All right, if you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you're willing to do that, we will read your five-star
0: review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher and Google Play. If you like or favor us there, the algorithms will help other people find us. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about using languages. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the polyglot. Well, that's it for episode 95 of Total Party
1: Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.